Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 6 on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Chris O'Brien, founder and head roaster of Coffee Cycle Roasting, is back for the last time in a minute to chat with us about cowboy coffee and how to make a better cup of coffee outside. If, say, like me, you're going to be out camping this summer. I have to begin the show with a warning that sometimes Chris and I can go off on a tangent, and that while I've more recently heard of cowboy coffee, it wasn't a term that I grew up with. I didn't watch a lot of westerns growing up, mostly just Nick at Night or TGIF. If you are in San Diego this week and you find yourself near Pacific Beach, be sure to pop over to Coffee Cycle and say hello. Chris launched a new Columbia coffee from Finca El Progreso. It has lots of milk chocolate flavors and a smooth finish. I'm drinking some of the very first sample roasts from this coffee, and they've already got it dialed in pretty tight. You can get your own reusable tin filled with beans at the shop in Pacific Beach, or if you're not in the area, you can order on coffeecycleroasting.com. But not before you fill up a cup of coffee all the way to the top, no room for cream, because it is time for yet another Coffee Smarter session with my coffee cowboy, nope, I don't like that, with my coffee sensei, Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting. Chris O'Brien, Coffee Cycle Roasting, you are back on this fine podcasting program that was once <laughs> that was once put on a list of the top 60 coffee podcasts in the United States by a blog that I had never heard of before, but I still was very proud of it. Uh, they listed us at number 10. So I was immediately, uh, my competitive fire was immediately sparked and I would like to get up into the top five at some point. Ooh. I know that's my goal. Again, I don't know this blog. I've never heard of it before, but they sent me an email saying I was in the top, the top 10. So I'm very excited about that. It's definitely one of my tops, you know, at least top 60. Well, I mean, of all the podcasts that you are listening to all the time, I am certain yeah. that this is definitely up there. Today, I want to ask you about something that I learned about later, but I realized I had been doing for a long time, and that is cowboy coffee. It's a term that I've I've heard with referred to as for coffee that is kind of made generally like while camping or I would imagine like that cowboys at one point were making while out herding something. <laughs> herding. I feel like it's, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that this has been on Yellowstone at some point. Um, I don't know. I've only seen a few episodes. Uh, but what is cowboy coffee? From there, let's kind of go into maybe coffee outdoors or coffee while we're camping or something like that. Cool. Well, yeah, this is a know, professional show. We're figuring it out. <laughs> uh, I mean, as a topic, cowboy coffee is is maybe um, lacking in complexity because uh, it's a pretty pretty simple concept. But you know, generally, when you make coffee, you have coffee beans, you turn them into coffee grinds, and then you add hot water to the coffee grinds. You filter out the grinds, and then you have coffee. Right? Like that's that's how you make coffee. Well, 
if you're a cowboy, you know, following some herd somewhere and, you know, sitting by a little fire every night, you're not exactly bringing along your Keurig uh, and plugging it into the wall in the, in, in the pasture or the desert or wherever the heck you are, because there's no plug and there's no Keurig, if that wasn't clear. Um, and so, you know, how do you make coffee? And, um, and it's actually pretty simple because you really just have to add the grounds to the water and then filter out the grounds, right? And so, so, so how do you do that? Well, first of all, you just get grounds rather than getting beans and then grinding them. That's how a large portion of the world did it for a very, very long time. You know, your can of Maxwell House um, or whatever, whatever the brand was back then. Um, and so, yeah, you're using, you're using pre-ground coffee, first of all, and then you're dumping it into your, your mug your tin cup or whatever it is you have out there on the trail. And then you're adding hot water. And because you're a cowboy, you don't have a filter and you're not bothering with anything else. So you just drink it just like that. With the grinds in it still. Right. And so you can make it a little fancier by just using a spoon or, you know, kind of just scraping the the grounds off the top that are floating on the top mostly. But that's that's my understanding of cowboy coffee is you just you just don't bother filtering it, and I think, you know, most people would would use a spoon to to take the grounds that are floating off the top, and you know we talked before in an episode many many episodes ago about coffee cupping, which is also unfiltered, and basically you're, you know, putting grounds in the bottom of a cup, you're adding hot water, some of the grounds float to the top and create kind of a crust. And then you kind of break the crust, skim the grounds off the top, and then you can slurp the coffee off the top with your spoon. But you can also just pick that cup up. You know, technically, you, you can just pick it up and just sip off the top. And, you know, any of the floating grounds you've spooned off and the grounds that have settled to the bottom are on the bottom. So you're not really going to get any grounds in your mouth until you get close to the bottom, as long as you're not moving the cup around a lot. Yeah, that's so funny. We because we look at cupping as kind of like this really kind of special, like you're tasting and it's has the potential to be pretentious. It's not always pretentious, but it's certainly right. considered something you do if you're into craft coffee, searching for flavors and that sort of thing. And it at its core, it's essentially the same as somebody who is out working, <laughs> just wants some coffee in the morning, putting some hot wa- hot water in their coffee. Yeah. Which I think is fantastic. Was there ever a point where we think cowboys were, or workers or whoever is making this cowboy coffee, were grinding their coffee instead of buying pre-ground? When did pre-ground coffee become a thing? It was like the 1950s, right? Or 30s? I think so. I think so. And, you know, early coffee grinders are, are hand coffee grinders. So they are fairly portable. That being said, I mean, you don't exactly have room for a lot of luggage with your, your cowboy job. I do remember doing some reading at one point about like Napoleonic era naval expeditions, naval naval uh, ships, where the um, some of the officer class on the ships would have coffee roasting and grinding equipment on. So if you're you know on a on a trip around the uh, you know going from England or France or whatever over into the Pacific Ocean, you're going down and around South America. You know, you might be landing in some ports that, that might be growing some of those early crops of of coffee and you can buy a sack of green coffee beans that might be uh, might be nice to roast as you're 
you're sailing around the world, the age of sail. Um, you'd be hand grinding and hand roasting. And so you have a, a roaster that is a drum over a fire and you're, you're turning it by hand to keep it rotating. Um, and you don't have the airflow that we have in, in roasters these days, but that's, that's basically how, um, how our contemporary roasters work. And I think at Jaunt Coffee Roasters up in Mira Mesa, they, they used to have, I don't know if they still have, but they have a, a small hand roaster just on display, which is basically that same style of roaster as has been around since, you know, 1800 or whatever, probably longer than that. Because that it's, it's most basic, that's that's what it is. But a hand grinder is, is very similar. You have these two kind of mill wheels, these two grinding discs, and you just turn them by hand. You don't need it to be all electrified. You don't need to have super high precision machine work. You know, obviously we're, we've made advances and hopefully our coffee grinding and brewing is better than it was then. But yeah, I mean, there were people that were grinding by hand, you know, fresh to order beyond just the pre-ground stuff for, for longer than pre-ground has been available. Let's kind of bring this into the modern age. Obviously, horses still exist and cowboys still exist, but I would say we're not in a period where people are commonly riding horses just as part of their everyday life. We've replaced horses uh, with cars and uh, transport. And in your case, which we talked about last week, bicycles. So let's just hypothetically say that you are going to take a day off of work. I've known it to happen. And you are going to ride out to a campsite somewhere and spend the night and wake up and have a cup of coffee out in the woods. What advice would you have for somebody who wants to to make a great cup of coffee today that might be a form, an updated form of cowboy coffee or might make take that cowboy coffee and turn it into a great cup of craft coffee? Well, I mean, I, I love that because there's there's all kinds of ways to make coffee, you know, with sort of a minimalist approach. And some of them are, are kind of kind of fun. You know, it, it can require all kinds of different levels of, of equipment or preparation, but you know, we always break it down to that simple grounds, hot water, remove grounds, um, or at least make sure you're not drinking too many of them. Um, whether you're removing it from the top of the spoon and then just drinking above the grounds that have settled or whether you're using a paper or a metal filter to fully remove as many grounds as you can. You know, a French press is, is a pretty basic, straightforward, simple coffee brewer that most people are familiar with. And the idea is, you know, that you add your grounds and hot water in one large vessel and then you have this kind of uh, metal filter on a, on, a, on a rod that you push all the grounds to the bottom so that you can pour the coffee off the top. And the metal filter does allow some smaller particles, some fines to get through. And so there's a bit more texture to your coffee and the coffee might not be as perfectly brewed as it would otherwise, because those smaller particles are going to continue to extract. But that being said, you can have, you know, great French press coffee and really enjoy it. And, you know, one of the beauties of, of camping is that Sometimes a, a, a mediocre product when you're out in the wilderness can taste truly exceptional because of your deprivation. <laughs> and so I think French press is kind of a, a go-to for a lot of people for camping situations. You know, the trouble is then cleaning out the grounds out of your French press. You know, you kind of bang them out on the ground or over the campfire or whatever it is that you're, you're doing. But there's always going to be some residue that then you have to rinse out. And it's, it's not too hard, but, you know, it still is going to require some, some rinsing and some, some water. There's a really fun, obscure way of 
brewing coffee that is kind of relevant to this whole camp coffee discussion that I really love. Have you ever heard of Swedish coffee? I have not. I might have, but I don't, I'm not, I can't recall it. Okay. So I first encountered this term in a novel and I had to look it up and figure it out because I've never really heard it in any of my, any of my coffee experience, but I, I, I've actually tried it and it does actually work. There's no filter involved, but you get coffee that has almost no grounds in it. And what you do is you crack an egg and you separate out the white from the yolk. And then you mix your coffee grounds in with the egg white. And then you put that into your water and boil it. And when you've, you know, had it hot or boiling for long enough, you know, a couple minutes, you turn off the heat. You take it off the fire, whatever it is you're doing, and then you add a little bit of cold water. And what will happen is the grounds and egg white mixture will settle to the bottom, and then you can pour coffee off the top. Whoa. And so this is a way of using an egg white as a, as a binding agent to keep all the grounds together so that then when they settle, you can filter it with the egg white, basically. <laughs> Doesn't the egg white leave a sort of flavor or taint the coffee, though? Oh, I mean, slightly, uh, but, you know, I mean, egg white's pretty, pretty neutral. doesn't have a ton of flavor to it. So, I mean, am I going to be uh, competing at the, you know, U.S. Brewers Cup with this, uh, with this recipe? No. But is it a viable way of separating out your grounds if you're, for instance, camping? Absolutely. You know, oh, I brought an extra egg. I might as well use it to brew coffee since I forgot the the brewer. You know, when I go camping, I like to use my AeroPress. Um, the AeroPress is very popular for camping, but it's not great for lots of people. It's good for one or two people, you know, and if you're willing to put in the work, you know, three or four. But the AeroPress, you know, works sort of like a French press where it's an immersion brewer. You're mixing the coffee and the water together, and then you have this kind of plastic tube that you're able to push the liquid coffee out through a paper filter and uh the aeropress amusingly enough is actually made by the same maker as the aerobi frisbee the frisbee with that's like just the disc with the hole in the center aerobi is that company and they they make the aeropress which is kind of fun not really any point to that but it's just kind of cool to know were they looking for uh something to use that little the circle they cut out of the middle for I th- that might have been it. That might have been it. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but it's just a little fun fun fact about that. You know, another popular camp brewer is going to be um, Mocha Pot. You know, sometimes called an Italian espresso machine, where you have a chamber below that has the water. There's like a little metal rod that goes up into the upper chamber. And so as the coffee boil, as the water boils, it boils up through the metal rod and pushes through the coffee grounds and then erupts up and over those coffee grounds uh, through a little metal filter and drops into the upper chamber where you can then pour it off. And that's a great ca- camp brewer because, you know, it's kind of compact. It's not a ton of mess. There's a fun, fun fact about the mocha pot as well. Uh, it's been popularized by the company Bialetti, an Italian company. And when the uh, patriarch of the Bialetti company, Mr. Bialetti himself, passed away a couple years ago, he uh, wanted to be cremated, and he wanted his ashes to be interred in a, uh, a giant mocha pot. So next time you're drinking out of your Italian espresso machine, know that there is a uh, extra large one out there in the world full of human remains. 
Mr. Bialetti. <laughs> Mr. Bialetti himself. And I, I can't mention the mocha pot without telling that story. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a dozen times on the show about fresh, grinding your coffee fresh and how that impacts the flavor in a positive way. And you mentioned earlier, obviously, like with cowboy coffee, they were probably grinding it beforehand or they weren't grinding it, you know, on the back of the horse there. But if I were to go camping, which I am in a, in about a month, I'm taking the show on the road for a bit. I'll be camping kind of across the West and into the Midwest. I would imagine that I'll want to be grinding my coffee along the way. And I do have a hand grinder that I've used. And honestly, like the repetitive motion of it hurts my shoulder just to think about it. Um, but are the same rules for grinders, electric grinders that you might use in the shop or at home, do they apply to hand grinders or are there variations? I mean, a burr grinder versus a flat grinder. I mean, what what is available to me or what would you recommend perhaps to, to if I really want to get the best cup of coffee I can, deprivation aside? <laughs> well, you know, you and I did that study a number of years ago on on hand grinders, um, and it wasn't quite as thorough as our study on we did uh, electric home grinders. We did. We we tested four grinders against each other. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> we did a particle distribution. Was this one of those things that you did it and you were really excited and you didn't notice that I had left? Actually, you got paid to do this and you recruited me as your expert. Um, and I'm sure you remember. <laughs> But we tested four hand grinders against each other, all in kind of a budget range, because the, the people who are paying you didn't have a huge budget, but they had enough of a budget that they bought four grinders for us to test. And what's funny is that one of the grinders that did really well, the one that we kind of really liked, is not very well regarded in the coffee world. That being said, you know, I think it is kind of weirdly decent and it's incredibly cheap. It's like $25 or something like that. The the Java Press hand grinder. I think a lot of it's problem because I've, I've owned one for a while now. I think I actually have a second one now because I, I think I gave one away or else I broke it or something. But uh, but they're not very sturdy. You know, they're, they're sturdy enough for a couple of years, but they're, they're definitely slapped together a little bit. And there's definitely some things that can go wrong with them. That being said, $25 or $20 or whatever it is for uh, an actual burr grinder is is pretty great. Um, there's not a better deal out there for getting halfway decent coffee. The longer I had my Java Press grinder, the more I found flaws with it. But, you know, we tested a number of grinders against each other, you know, and most hand grinders are going to be a conical burr because it saves space. And as I said in, in one of our previous episodes, you know, I don't have any real preference between a conical or a flat burr grinding system. I tend to have more flat burr grinders, but not because I ostensibly like them more in principle, uh, just because that those particular grinders are the grinders that I wanted. Um, not because they were flat burr, but just because the overall grinder itself was very good. I do have two hand grinders now uh, myself. They're both conical burr, of course, like most most hand grinders are. I have a Java press, um, which is great for, you know, any kind of like travel where I'm I'm camping. It's great for because you know if I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to preserve my nice hand grinder quite as nice. I have a very nice hand grinder. I have a Commandante, which is you know goes for over three hundred dollars retail, and the Ooh. grind quality is very very good, and it's 
it's very nice to use a nicer hand grinder. The kind of the feel of it in your hands, the ergonomics of it are more dialed in. You kind of have to put a little bit more uh, muscle, not necessarily, but mu but you kind of have to work for it a little bit more for a cheaper hand grinder. The Hario Skirton, the Java Press, even the Porlex, which is a pretty nice hand grinder that's very similar to the Java Press, requires a little bit more effort to get your good grounds out of. Whereas if you get something like the Orphan Espresso Lido or the Knock Air Grind or the Commandante, these are all kind of higher end um, hand grinders that are, are much more pleasant to use and create, you know, a really nice particle cons consistency. So, you know, I just traveled back east a couple months ago and I was there for a week and I brought my Commandante hand grinder and an AeroPress and the coffee I was making for myself every day was phenomenal. I mean, because I used my own beans. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's possible with, with tools like that to get coffee by the side of a campfire that's, you know, on a similar quality as you could get at home in your kitchen. And, you know, you can invest in those tools and, and they, do, they do work really well. Um, whether you're using an AeroPress or a French press or, you know, some kind of pour over you can use on that camp as well. You mentioned the price points of that Commandant versus the, the Java press. Um, and I just Googled it. The Java press is actually $30 now. So it's 10 times more expensive to buy the Commandant than the Java press. Do you think those cups of coffee are 10 times better? arguably arguably <laughs> okay i mean again that that deprivation factor you know matters uh your own coffee connoisseurship matters you know like how how well are you brewing your average cup of coffee anyway because if you're kind of living in in mediocrity then the difference between like potentially great mediocrity and potentially kind of crappy mediocrity is it's all still kind of a, a mediocrity right if you're using not a great bean or if you're not paying super close attention to timing or ratio very regularly then you know the, the grinder isn't going to save you it's not going to fix those other problems if you get a really crappy bean and you brew it with a really good grinder it might actually taste worse than when you <laughs> grind it with a really shitty grinder because, you know, it's not really meant to be extracted perfectly. It's, uh, it's, it's a bad product. But generally, yes. I mean, you, you get a good grinder, it's going to taste a lot better. And that Commandante makes as good a grinds as, you know, any of the very, very nice grinders I have in my shop that are commercial and cost, you know, four figures uh, at least. So again, like 10 times more expensive than the Commandante. Uh, but I can't grind nearly as much coffee in the Commandante as I can in one of those. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at kind of setting up a more easy camp setup for myself. And the thought of taking something like the Java Press and bringing along or maybe something a little bit nicer or sturdier than the Java Press, but not quite as nice as my Commandante, and then bringing along a cordless electric drill. And instead of cranking that crank by hand, attaching my drill to the grinder and then just pulling the trigger on that drill will turn my hand grinder into an electric grinder and save myself a lot of the trouble. That being said, the shaft that connects the hand crank to the burr is not really meant to stand up to 
the power of an electric drill. Um, the Java Press definitely is not meant for that, and I'm sure I would break the Java Press pretty quickly. The Commandante might be able to handle it a little bit longer, but I also don't want to risk my really nice Commandante, uh, <laughs> even if it can handle it for at least a little bit longer. So, you know, I have a friend who has a Commandante and he wanted to season the burrs. You know, when you get brand new, a brand new grinder or brand new burrs, you know, the edges of the metal are very sharp and you kind of know that that's going to wear down a little bit. And, and so, you know, there's some value to grinding a bunch of coffee through it first before you really start using the grinder for yourself. And so he got, you know, a couple bags of some, you know, whatever coffee and he hooked up his commandante to his drill and he sat there on his porch and ground six pounds of coffee with an electric drill through his hand grinder, which I am never going to do. All right. That sounds awful to me. Uh, and I would be terrified to damage the grinder, but he, he did it and his grinder's still working great. At least I think it is. I, I generally trust him with most coffee things. And so that is an option. It's not one that I'm going to take with my grinder. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't address this since we're kind of talking about coffee outside, but there's a, a trend now with tea bag style coffee or single use coffee where you can single use pour over where you get kind of coffee and like a little tea bag type thing. You put it over your cup. It's already pre-ground. You pour hot water over it or even actual tea bags or you're kind of dunking your water just the way you would a tea bag. Any uh, thoughts or just reflection on that as we kind of close out today? Sure. You know, at its core, there's 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 an issue with coffee in a tea bag, um, or one of those things that that's problematic, but not necessarily going to ruin everything. And the issue is that when we're brewing coffee, we want the water and the coffee to interact sort of equally, right? We want we want all the water to interact with all the coffee, and practically that doesn't really ever quite happen. Um, we're talking about a pour over or a shot of espresso or even a batch brew, the water as it flows through the bed of coffee is going to want to find the path of least resistance. And when we talk about any of those brewing methods, we call it channeling. So if the coffee is compacted in most of it, but not compacted for part of it, the water is generally going to want to find that not compacted part and flow through it. And then think about it kind of like you're, if you look at a cross section of it, you're thinking about it kind of like a, like a ant farm, right? So the ants kind of make this little, little trail down through it. Well, the water likes to find that little trail. Not that there's ants in your coffee grounds. I hope that didn't confuse anyone. Um, but, uh, but so the water wants to find its path of least resistance. And just like that, when you have a tea bag full of coffee grounds, the grounds that are at the center of the tea bag it's going to be harder for the water to interact with those grounds as it is for the water to interact with the grounds on the edges of the tea bag. So you're always going to be walking into this potential for uneven extraction, where you're going to be under extracting the coffee grounds that are at the center of the tea bag and well extracting or maybe over extracting the grounds from the edges of the tea bag. So when we're breaking it down, kind of Scientifically, and we're thinking about it as a problem, we can see that it has this, this issue. That being said, there are companies out there that make very good coffee and that are putting them into tea bags. We generally like to trust 
a company that has really good coffee with some of the things that they do. Right. So we talked in some of our other episodes or in, in some things about, you know, there has to be a certain level of trust between the consumer, you and who you're buying the coffee from and making sure they're making like ethical decisions. Right. And so like, like me as a coffee roaster, I have to be, you know, have some sort of level of confidence that the importer that I'm working with has some sort of ethics to their buying and, and so on and so forth. Well, if we're trusting our coffee shop or our coffee roaster or our importer or whatever it is with these, with these ethics or with these other aspects, well, we have to trust them with other things as well. And so if I have a coffee roaster that's providing me with a tea bag coffee and I know that it has this sort of inherent issue, well, what levels of quality control has that roaster done on those tea bags? You know, they're not just putting their grounds into that tea bag and then saying, good luck, suckers. And I mean, maybe some of them are. And that's that's the problem is that maybe some of them are. But most of these coffee roasters, if they've established a reputation for having good coffee in the first place, are quality controlling their product beyond just putting grounds in a bag and trusting that it's going to be good enough for Joe Schmuck out on the trail. What they're doing is they're having their team of professional coffee tasters, you know, the, the team that selected these coffees in the first place, and they're they're actually brewing these tea bags and verifying that they think it's good enough to serve and represent their company well. Does that ensure you're going to get a really amazing cup of coffee with a tea bag? No, it does not. Um, could you get a better cup of coffee some other way? Probably, yes. But if you see a company that you like and you trust providing, you know, a product like that, it's probably worth at least giving a try to and seeing whether you like it. Because at the end of the day, no matter what kind of tasting we're doing, whether it's on the trail with French press or pour over or cowboy coffee or Swedish coffee or cuppings or dark roast or medium roast or light roast, wherever you are, it always matters. Did you like it? So if you get... Uh, an instant coffee or a tea bag or, you know, whatever it is, uh, a collapsible disposable pour over device that they, they make those that, you know, attach to the top of your cup and you pour over water through them and it has pre-ground coffee in it. If you like it, that's what matters. You know, that's what matters at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if, if, if I like it or if Ryan likes it, it just, it just matters if you like it. And so it's worth giving a try to, if a company that you like is providing something like that, you know, I know, my friends over at Nostalgia Coffee have brew bags and they're very proud of them. And I think that that's great, you know, because they have some amazing people working for them. And if they have decided that that is a good example of their product and that it's a good example of coffee, then it's worth trying. I, it doesn't matter if I do or don't like it. It matters if you like it because I'm going to be taking my AeroPress out there with my Commandante or my Java Press and maybe an electric drill, you know, who knows? what I'm doing is my problem and I'm going to serve it and I'm going to up to myself and I'm going to like it hopefully. And maybe it's one of those nostalgia tea bags or, you know, from, I think Onyx has them, you know, there's all kinds of companies out there that, that do that sort of thing. And so, yeah, if they think it's worth serving, you probably should give it a try if you're interested. So it doesn't really matter what the physics of it say. Uh, it matters that the fact that these people with incredible palates have decided that it's, it's worth, worth presenting to you. Well, that's some, some good advice. I've tried several of the different brands and some of them I like more than others. Uh, some of them taste like instant. 
where they clearly weren't, you know, weren't putting in the effort. But some of them I thought, wow, this is actually pretty good. I, I ran out of coffee one day here at the house and I realized I had one of these single servings um, from Maria Coffee, um, an oh, nice. online company here in Southern California. And and I was I was really pleasantly surprised, like even, you know, drinking it at home, no deprivation. But it was just a lovely cup of coffee that I had in the morning. And so I, I definitely think they're I think we're still in the beginning phases of that trend. And so there's a little bit of trial and error and it'll take a little bit of, uh, of product testing to find some brands that I, you know, I really recommend or that I, that I trust to take with me, but it, it is kind of a nice convenience, um, as opposed to going out and grinding every morning or, or doing all that. If, if you want the alternative. Well, and I'll say this real quick before you wrap it up is that, Using your Keurig to provide hot water to make a brew bag is probably less wasteful and probably tastes better than using your Keurig to brew a Keurig pod. So you can do it at home too. It's better than a Keurig. (laughs) I feel like I should get you a a t-shirt that says that uh, with two thumbs up on it. (laughs) Better than a Keurig. (laughs) You've been very kind to spend time with us again this season and i'm going to make you do it probably again at some point soon but uh you've also been uh sharing a little bit more about yourself because i've been making you do it and so i've got one more round of rapid fire questions for you and then i won't make you do it ever again i should make you do some of these sometime i'm gonna write you a list well if you ever did any prep for the show then i would (laughs) (laughs) so here we go are you ready i'm ready all right. Grateful Dead or Fish? Fish. Book version or movie version? Book. Sunsets or sunrises? Sunrise. Roller skates or roller blades? Blades. New York or New Jersey? New York. <laughs> Who's got the best beard in this video chat? You do. You do. All right. You do. You finally got me with one. Finally. Took me three three tries to get you to say something nice about my beard. I've been working so hard to keep it shaped and appropriate. Are you, I see you're writing over there. Are you writing rapid fire questions for me? Is that what's happening? I'm, I'm trying, you know. I'm trying. Uh, you know, I got a couple, but I don't think I should really be asking you boxers or briefs on on the air. You know, so we'll have to we'll have to come up with some other ones. I got three for you right now. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Mutton chops or mustache? Mustache. Burger or steak? Vegetarian burger. (laughs) (laughs) Beach or park? Park. You are terrible at this. That was not rapid fire at all. You sat and you rolled your eyes for every one of those. I did not roll my eyes even once. I saw him. You looked up. You looked right. You looked left. You were lying to you me. You threw me tell. with the burger or steak question. I've been a vegetarian or, a, you know, close to veganist since, man, I can't even think. Ten years? It's been a long time. That makes it easy. Veggie burger. <laughs> well, veggie burger. So burger then. There you go. Well, I mean, well, I don't think about it. Oh, I was trying to trying to remember if there was a vegan steak option. I don't honestly know <laughs> if there is. I, I, I haven't is had cool. like a, I haven't seen any impossible fillets yet. <laughs> but maybe I'm sure it's on the horizon. Chris, I always love spending time with you and uh, <laughs> chatting. 
And uh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate you. I'll appreciate you more when you do better with your questions next time. (laughs) (laughs) See how the table turns. You prepare some uh, rapid fire questions and I will answer them all honestly. Uh, It's not that I don't want to answer them quickly. It's just my brain only works so fast in the morning. (laughs) This is uh, the issues we had with you as an employee. (laughs) 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 He walked right into it. What was I going to say? To recap. A hand grinder can really improve your ability to make a fresh cup of coffee at camp. I legitimately don't recall ever reviewing hand grinders with Chris. I'm not saying it didn't happen, I'm just saying I don't remember it. I also have the Java Press, which I saw retailing for about 40 bucks now. I bought it at 30 on sale. It has been a great grinder for the price, and I haven't had the same durability issues that Chris has. I may not have the same expectations either. The Commandante is too expensive for me at this point in my coffee journey, but I'm hoping that maybe Chris will let me borrow his. If you do get a hand grinder, I will warn you that it's great for one to two coffees. After that, make sure you've really warmed up that shoulder. You don't want to tear a rotator cuff. Hand grinding gives you a very physical understanding of the difference in grind fineness. Grinding for a pour-over coffee will take you much longer than grinding a coarse French press grind. As for Chris's Swedish coffee story, I found a lot of information about a Swedish egg coffee drink that is still pretty popular, especially in the northern Minnesota region of the Midwest. I grew up just to the east in Wisconsin, but I've never heard of it. Most of the examples I found used the egg to add texture and flavor, and not just, as Chris said, as a binder for the grinds. There are all kinds of legends about the origin of this egg coffee cocktail, which involves boiling the water with a beaten egg and coarse coffee grinds blended in, then adding a cup of cold water and letting it settle for about 10 minutes. In some cases, it was an enterprising hotelier who was running out of coffee but flush with eggs, and in others, it is Scandinavian immigrants making a new life in a new land that unfortunately didn't have coffee worth a shit. Either way, it sounds interesting enough that I'm going to ask some Minnesotans about it when I pass through later this summer camping. And while I'm out camping, I'll probably make a few cups of coffee, but I'll also be hauling some single-use craft coffees. I've had some really enjoyable ones, and some really bad ones. I prefer the pour-over versions to the teabag versions, if for no other reason than it feels more like the Zen meditation I perform at home, but without the need to grind. Taking a chance on a single-serving coffee is really about trust between the consumer and the producer. I trust Steady State and Marea to provide a good product. Therefore, I'm willing to take a chance on something new that may not be what I would normally look for. Finally, in the end, drink what you like, but take a moment to consider the long and winding path those coffee beans took and how many had a hand in making that moment possible. Unlike water, which wants to find the path of least resistance, sometimes it seems coffee prefers the path of most resistance. I know some people like that too. If you have questions you'd like answered on a future Coffee Smarter episode, send them to the show on Instagram, at RoastWestCoast. And if you want to see what coffees Chris is serving at Coffee Cycle, head to CoffeeCycleRoasting.com or follow the shop on Instagram, at CoffeeCycleRoasting. I'll be back next week with an interview with Karen Eland. She is an artist who has made a career out of painting with coffee and beer. You can stream the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast, 
on any major podcast platform. Or make sure you never miss one by subscribing to the newsletter at roastwestcoast.com. The podcast is always free, but I definitely appreciate all of you who have chosen the optional paid subscription. You're the reason that we can put this show out every single week. Paid subscribers can also check out the new column, The Bean Journal, which details what and where I'm drinking coffee. Thank you for listening to the show today and to my industry partners, Ignite Coffee Company, Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, First Light Whiskey, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Marea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and Cafe La Terre. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. And to every Joe schmuck out on the trail that I meet this summer, cheers, I hope we can host a mug of coffee together. For the rest of you, I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. everyone if you like the roast west coast coffee podcast you might also appreciate the i like beer the podcast listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint these professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind the scenes brewery experiences check out the i like beer the podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee or head to i like beer the podcast.com